This is Soundmaking, a podcast made by Hogan Stenner and myself, Matthew Shlomovitz. Each episode of Soundmaking features a composer or performer discussing the how and why of music they've created. This episode features composer Julia Wolfe and performer Eric Shah Beach from the Soul Percussion Ensemble. In August this year, they released the album Forbidden Love on Cantalib Records, which was written for percussion quartet performing on amplified string instruments. Julia talks about her background in American folk music and how this is reflected in the piece and how the collaboration with So Percussion took her writing in new directions. This wonderful recording is featured in a unique edition of 250 hand-printed, individually numbered and signed CD wallets by the artist Matthew van Asselt. My name is Julia Wolf, and um, I write music, and I live in New York City, downtown New York. Um, right now, I'm in a beautiful part of the Berkshire Mountains, so it's not New York City. And um, yeah, I write uh, adventurous music. And uh, I'm Eric Chabich. I'm one of the members of the percussion quartet So Percussion. Uh, we've been around for about 20 years. Uh, for a lot of that time, we've been based in Brooklyn, New York, although uh, more recently we've become the ensemble in residence at Princeton University. So these days we sort of make a dual home between Brooklyn and Princeton. And um, yeah, you know, in the early days, our ensemble being based in Brooklyn, um, we were very heavily influenced by uh, the organization Bang on a Can that was founded by Julia uh, together with the composers Michael Gordon and David Lang. And uh, we not only, you know, looked up to the music that these three 
amazing composers were making, but also just sort of the way they um, created the community around their work and supported the work of so many other people. I mean, they, they kind of created this organization, Bang on a Can, and then just let it sort of become what was needed for their own projects, but then what was helpful for other people in the community. They were sort of like, you know, how can we create the best musical world possible in New York City? And and so percussion, we were definitely one of the groups that was sort of a, a beneficiary of being around uh, that atmosphere. And so it it early on, it really encouraged us to just sort of, you know, throw all the rules out the window, think about the kind of music we wanted to see in the world. Uh, we, we established really early on that we wanted to um, just commission a lot of big, amazing pieces for the percussion ensemble. You know, uh, we, we kind of thought early on there weren't enough um, long pieces in the percussion ensemble repertoire, uh, you know. We, we didn't want to play a five minute piece and then spend 20 minutes moving gear and then play another five minute piece. Um, although, you know, there's some amazing music made that way, but um, we thought, what if we could set up a bunch of stuff on stage and play for 30 or 40 minutes for people. And so, um, so the, the piece that you just heard at the beginning here, uh, that was the intro to the piece forbidden love that Julia wrote for us. And um, that is sort of one of the latest pieces to join that um that, that repertoire that we've been building over the years. Uh, it was sort of assembled uh, together with Julia. It, it premiered in June of 2019, but um, in a funny way, you know, um, because we were on the road a lot and Julia was on the road a lot while we were developing it, um, even before the pandemic, we had developed this way of uh, collaborating over Zoom and over, uh, you know, recording things. Uh, we would record little excerpts in our rehearsals and I would upload things to YouTube so that Julia could check them out more easily. And really in a lot of ways, we kind of shared ideas back and forth that way and put the piece together that way. Well, first of all, I should say that I, you know, as a young person, by young person, I mean, late teenager years, um, I had no thought of studying music. I went to college with my guitar strapped on my back and I had studied piano, but um, I was really interested in social issues, political issues, and I thought I'd study social sciences, labor history, something like that. Um, and I accidentally walked into this very free, open, interesting music class. A friend of mine said, come take this class. So it started in this sort of accidental way. And I say accidental, but, you know, I think anyone who's a musician is moved by sound and music in this really deep way. I mean, listeners are moved in this deep way, but people who want to get involved with it, it, it just affects you in this way that is hard to explain. And so I knew that was there, even though I love other arts. I love visual arts and theater and music is some different kind of connection. So that's where it started. And I, I was in the liberal arts program. I'm not sure in other countries how you refer to liberal arts, but it's, you know, you're taking a mix of subjects. And um, so, but that was it. I took this class where we would create um, little pieces, little sketches. And one of the assignments in this class is so connected to this piece because um, the teacher who I was really close with, this wonderful woman, um, Jane, she said, take an instrument and use it in a way it's not supposed to be used. And that was the assignment. I was like, what? (laughs) 
why? Why would we do that? I, 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 didn't, I couldn't get my head, wrap my head around it. And then I went exploring and, you know, she opened the box, of, you know, of her mind of how you can make sound. And so there's a strong connection to that very beginning of wanting to be a musician and a composer and spend time and that assignment. Um, but since then, you know, I read for all kinds of things and, and, and a very, very strong thread of political history and a bunch of pieces that have political texts and almost like it's funny the other day I was talking to someone at NPR and they said they called them docutorios so there's a whole side of me that's making these docutorios which is sort of like an oratorio and a documentary but then the pure music which is what this piece is well I shouldn't say pure music because there's a craziness about it but um but just thinking about sound and rhythm and and timbre and um that's really wonderful too because What's music is beyond words, really. So to leave the words behind and just dig in. So that's um, that's the beginnings. That there's a long journey uh, from that first class of you know starting a theater company, writing music for theater, which I can now see also in this piece, the theater of it, and eventually going and studying music composition at a couple places. Uh, I just want to chime in here that it's so awesome to hear Julia talk about the influence of all of these other art forms on her own work, you know, being excited about visual art and excited about theater uh, and movement, all these things, because in some ways, like um, a lot of how the piece Forbidden Love developed was uh, ideas that Julia would say, you know, I'm kind of imagining something that looks like you're rubbing a baby's back or it looks like you're playing a shredding guitar solo on stage at a rock concert, almost the the visual or the theater of the, the the event was there before she thought about what the the musical material was that was going to create that thing, and it 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 totally jives so much with the way Julie is describing her background right now. Well, I, the first uh, direction that's connected to Forbidden Love uh, was was writing for string quartet, so I, I just really wanted to write for that group for that kind of ensemble. I remember I, I applied to a couple places to get support for that. And two came through, you know, I was really surprised. So I wanted to bring two very close together. So the first quartet was Four Marys, um, which is the, the title is from an old Scottish ballad. Um, so there's definitely a, a, a folk reference there. And in that piece, I was exploring um, the only string instrument I played was the mountain dulcimer, which is an Appalachian lap instrument. And so I thought, well, that's it's really a funny relationship to these, you know, very serious European um, classical classical instruments. But I was trying to evoke some of the beauty of that lap instrument with the string quartet, you know. So four Marys, and then early that summer, which is just a very um, hyper relentless piece. So, uh, you know, just exploring different things with the quartet. I, I never really um, got heavily into. It extended technique in these quartets, uh, except for the sense that I'm using the bow, really digging in with the bow, getting a really gritty sound. And, um, but it's mostly about rhythm notes and harmonies and rhythms in those pieces. Um, so, uh, you know, when, when So came to me and asked if I would write, and, and you know, there being this amazing percussion quartet, if I would write for these string instruments, I kind of paused for a minute. <laughs> I had to think about what would I do? And it, 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 I like that feeling. I like the feeling of what would I do? You know, that's a, for the, every piece. I like to start with a blank slate. I don't like to necessarily just, oh yeah, I know how to do that. Let me just turn that out. I, I, I like feeling like I don't know where it's going. Mm-hmm. 
So actually, this idea had sort of started for us. Uh, we did a performance in Washington, D.C. of the Lou Harrison uh, Violin Concerto with Percussion Orchestra. And uh, the, one of the players in that plays a bass uh, with with sticks. And it just sort of like they had rented us a bass for this performance, and we were playing the piece. It just sort of like, oh, my gosh, there's so many amazing sounds in here. Um, like what if you really committed to just like experiencing these sounds in a, in a super deep way. And um, in some ways, you know, obviously like we had wanted to work with Julia for a long time. We had talked for a long time about commissioning. And in part because we often commission these super long pieces, we we can't commission a dozen pieces every year. You know, we're commissioning like three. Um, that's not always true, but you know, often it's true. So um, Julia came to mind to us as this, you know, a composer who is so patient with the sound worlds that she develops she is um she's actually like in in some ways she trusts that one really well chosen musical event can stand on its own and there's a lot of times in this piece where uh, you're doing one very simple thing and i can say as a performer when you're playing with virtuosity or something like that you feel totally fine but when you just have to trust that this sound is interesting enough for the audience to listen to, that can be scary. And and Julia is a totally fearless composer in that way. So um, we had, you know, we just we had had this idea about like loving this sound world and wanting to find somebody who could do it. And Julia just seemed to us like this is the person who is confident enough to make this work. Had to have a workshop for this piece because I didn't know what I was going to do. Oh, at the same time, I did have. Uh, an old, my daughter's old violin that she played when she was a kid. So I had an instrument to to mess with and experiment with. Um, so the first thing I did I was retune the instruments. I don't have the tuning in front of me, but in order to, you know, there's a lot of overlap of open string pitches with the with the four instrument, the four string instruments. So that'd be a little bit limited. And I didn't want them to be dependent upon finding pitches. They do do that. They do. They do use their fingers on the on the neck, and they they say that it's like a guitar term. But um, and they they find pitches. But I wanted them to also have access to a wide range of pitch. So each instrument is retuned. So even if they were just playing open strings, you get this glorious sort of harmony that would happen. So that's the first thing I did. Um, and they have so 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 percussion has a really great space. It's like an, an old factory space. You feel like you're in some sort of dark movie you have to climb up these back stairs and you finally get to this door that opens out and there's this glorious uh, set of percussion instruments um but there in the room they had set up four tables and put the violin violin viola cello on the tables um i don't think we'd mic them initially but and we're like okay what do we do it's definitely a blank slate and i remember i brought in the first time well we did had several meetings but i would bring in sketches i said can we try this what this sounds like um and i'd I'd say i'd I'd tell them okay next time i want to um thread something through the string so we pull the string through it so we get sort of um I don't know what you relate it to. I can't think of an instrument that works like that, but it's a, it's a way of bowing, I guess. And some of the 
things worked and some of the things didn't work. And it was interesting because Adam said to me, don't give us anything that makes us sound like bad classical string players. Don't give us the things that a string player does. Yeah, the way we started to think about it was like um, there's almost an uncanny valley. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the phrase uncanny valley, but it has to do with um, in movies uh, when you see animation that's too close to looking like a human, it actually kind of freaks you out because uh, when it when it's really clearly animated, totally fine. And it's when it's really clearly a human, totally fine. But when it's kind of like pretty close to a human but you can tell it's still animated, that kind of freaks you out. Um, whenever we would do something that felt like this is a skill that a violinist would actually have. And so like, we're not violinists. We're not going to, you know, you know, we're not going to sound good on that. And people are going to listen to us and say, yeah, a violinist would do that better. So why are they doing it? Um, and actually even some of the other material, um, it, it was the same kind of thing that like, uh, Julia had this image of playing it like, a uh, a. a, a an electric guitar or something like that. And again, we were sort of, we ended up in this uncanny valley of this is an electric guitar player would shred this part and we're not going to be able to shred it because we don't have that dexterity in our fingers. And so it's gonna, it it felt like this uncanny valley of like, this is not the right skill for us to try to make music with. Um, And so what we kept doing is sort of, sort of saying like, Hey, here are, here's our skill set. So um, as much as possible, if you could stay with the skills that we have, um, that's when it's going to feel natural. I'd say one of the fun things was that every once in a while somebody would be experimenting themselves. 
let's say Eric, for example, he'd be, he'd be jamming on, you know, maybe I gave him these symbols and he starts jamming with it. And I, and I, what, what is, what are you doing there? You know, and it would be something beautiful. And I would take some of the things I heard them do, or Josh would be using a mallet and, and, uh, sort of experimenting on hitting different parts of the cello. And so it's, it's really beautiful, especially when you hit the tail piece. If you hit it, you can, and, and it's amplified, you really get like a boom. And so a lot of the things I was collecting was just listening, you know, being able to go in and listen to partly the things I'd sketched out and wanted to experiment with, but then also what they were just coming, just jamming on. And I, and that's really fun because they're not, they're not aware that I'm, um, necessarily they're just having fun goofing around and i got like oh wait what's that and then okay you have all these sounds but what makes it a piece like what's the what's the journey that it's where's it going to start and where's it going to end um you know it was one thing that was a little different for me too is i i really took time especially in the opening i often write very i don't know if you'd say new york influence but dense hyper fast moving music this whole piece, it opens, well, first of all, with them walking on. So you, and, and, and I don't know if you'll hear the recording, but in the beginning of in, in the theater, they walk on one at a time. And then they take this drumstick and they weave it between the strings. So you hear this. And I thought, what, a, what a great sound. That's a great sound. So I'm always interested in sound, but in this piece, even more so what that sound is. In the opening, it, the, it's, it's perplexes some people because it is a little bit more outside of my, what they say, wheelhouse, and what I, of my language. It, um, it's definitely a new direction, a new step out. When I get to the small tunes that are, um, well, initially they're played with the chopsticks as, as if it's like a hammered dulcimer. And I have a very strong, well, this American folk background. So when I went to this class that I mentioned, uh, and I was in that program, it was at the University of Michigan which is in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And Ann Arbor is a really big folk town. They have a great coffee house. A lot of folk musicians came through, you know, Pete Seeger and whoever else would come through and play at this coffee house. And um, and just a lot of great musicians. So it's known for its bones players. I I learned a little bit of the bones, which is kind of clickety-clackety. You hold a pair of bones in each hand. Um, I played a little bit of Mountain Dulcimer. I worked for an instrument builder at the time. So while I was in college, I was doing this sort of folk world um it's doing some singing and so it's very much a part of me so it's it's in if it's not in a in a title of a piece like relating to a folk ballad or something it's somewhere in the music i think in almost every piece that i create part of what i love about that world is um it's a different sound it's a different performance practice you know um crunchy sounds are welcomed in i mean they certainly are in experimental contemporary music but in a more conscious way there it's just like part of the everything sounds uh, has a little rough edge to it or um, everything's fair game and uh lots of use of sticks on things you know that's part of the part of the culture so so that's in me and i think once the in this piece in forbidden love once the tunes start coming in um it's, it's a real nod to that that love that i have of folk music <laughs> 